you are listening to the empowering indian expats podcast if you are an indian living abroad feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you create your dream life this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories this is your host ehsan ali a long time it professional living in sydney australia who has made it his mission to uncover the strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring indian expats to help you and i reach our full potential and today is the story of a multi award winning entrepreneur who suffered bullying and depression in school until she couldn't take it anymore and dropped out of high school she launched a little startup in age care which 12 years later today has been recognized as the third best place to work in australia and new zealand the story of isha oberai is on the empowering indian expats podcast Isha talks about overcoming depression, her approach to personal and professional growth, ups and downs of entrepreneurship journey, strategy and influences to build a successful business and a balanced life. Welcome to the show Isha. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. And congratulations for winning the Women's Agenda Leadership Award in Health last week. Yeah, it was quite an honor and very very grateful to be standing amongst such esteemed women. It was it's quite an experience. Thank you, Asan. That's fantastic. Congratulations again and before we get into your story and journey of uh, dream struggle with Trisha, what are you most excited about right now in your life and career? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. I think I'm always excited about the impact that we make through the work that we do in our business through the business that i run just the evolution of the individuals that i lead is ever motivating so i'm constantly excited about that on a more macro level what i'm really excited about is our expansion so we opened up a second office a retail space out in paramata in the heart of the cbd just to be closer to our clients and carers we've got a third office opening up in Liverpool in 8 weeks time which I'm working on at the moment and then we're expanding into Melbourne in July. <laughs> awesome that's extraordinary. There's quite a bit going on in the next 3 months which is yeah very exciting. Fantastic. So before we talk about business what really inspired me when I looked at your story is your school days challenges and then dropping out of school and then becoming successful entrepreneur so why didn't you start with your early days at school and especially your pizza face bullying story yeah i was so just by way of background i migrated here to sydney when i was 7 years old with my parents and immediately it was a huge culture shock so that was about 30 years ago and identity crisis language barriers culture and then on top of that even religion we were enrolled me and my sister were enrolled in a christian school we were practicing hinduism at home and then like just to top all that up i had just finished having chicken pox so i walked into the school grounds on my first day with crater like holes in my face and was immediately named pizza face so you know whilst i can laugh at that now and of course take it very lightly it, it was certainly not a good start into a new school into a new country and what it led to was a whole spiral of negative experiences bullying isolation and so by the time i was in year 11 i just literally had had enough and i dropped out of school so i never completed high school did you study anything further went to university 
No, no, I didn't. In fact, after that, I was spiraling in and out of really negative dysfunctional relationships. I had developed no interpersonal or social skills at all. And it was many years later that when my father noticed my deterioration. So just to give you some more background, he used to work for the New South Wales government and he had some insights into demography and the aging population and workforce challenges that were in front of us. And he would encourage me, look, you can't get a job anywhere because you haven't studied. You don't have any experience. Why don't you go get a job as a carer? There's a real demand in the caring industry and we've got a shortage of nurses. So he one day literally pushed me into a nursing home with a resume and I got a job because I have a pulse. And so, yeah, I, I, I fell into the community services industry from there. So it looks like your father had a really strong influence in shaping up your future. Asan, I'll be really honest. I think in our culture, the Indian background, depression is not recognized. There's definitely that element of not recognizing what I was going through as a family. And even I identify with something like mental health in our culture. And absolutely 30 years ago, we didn't. But equally, yes, my dad was always encouraging me to get into work and then very much he was the one who influenced me to get into the industry at that time. That's fantastic and I myself am a father of a teenager girl who's in year 10 and that's probably one of the selfish reasons I wanted to spend a little bit of time here to understand from you who've been there who's come out of it and made it. So how do you really get out of those mental health issues and then get on with life? How do you really develop yourself from there? I think it's when you're in the situation and you're consumed by a mental health condition or depression or any degree of that, when you're consumed in it, it's really hard to identify with the element of hope or to really understand hopefulness or brightness of future, whatever you want to call it. It is a really hard question to answer but from my experience what I feel really helped me is two things one when I walked into the nursing home I had instant relatability to my clients my clients were lonely they were vulnerable they were depressed it was everything that I was feeling so I was able to relate to them instantly and and two what helped me is it was all about purpose so suddenly I was in an environment where other people's pain was greater than my own. And so from my own experience, I would think being of service and taking the focus of yourself and glorifying our own pain to even just directing where we can be useful to another person is probably the biggest. That's where my transformation happened. That's really insightful. Rather than focusing on my pain, if I focus on relieving somebody else, then I take the focus off myself. And because I could relate to that purpose person, I can actually add value and feel better as well. Anything else you would want to share to the teenagers and the parents? Something more on a practical note and in hindsight, what I've really now know is that a belief is just that. A belief is a belief. A belief is not a fact. And as teenagers or young adults, we often create these beliefs in our mind but we've got to realize that it's actually just an illusion like that is just a belief and if we realize that it's not a fact and it's something that we've created 
we can really dissolve some of those disempowering beliefs. Yes. Is there any kind of external support that we could bring maybe through our uh, general practitioner or anything on practical level? Yes, for sure. So I did at the time I've seen a psychologist and I absolutely believe that professionals like counsellors, psychologists or psychiatrists, depending on the degree of the condition, absolutely very useful. And I remember back that time just having very specific tangible strategies this being one of them actually is the affirmations or knowing that a belief is simply a belief and how do we break down those unhealthy belief systems that we've created yeah no I I do feel that they are very useful services we should we should lean on fantastic you are the practitioner you've been in that industry for 12 13 years now so the advice that comes from you is the right advice. And as you rightly said, we coming from Indian background, we never look at mental health as a problem. We look at physical issues as problem. We go to doctor, get medicine, but we never look at mental health as a challenge. For me as well, I never looked at it that way. Only now when I have a daughter and we have done a little bit of those things as well as you advised and it does really help. Thank you for that. And let's get into the business side of it. So at 24, you started your own business. How did that start? Yeah, like I mentioned, as I was kind of thrown into the industry and I and I walked into this nursing home, I worked as a carer for six months. It was my longest standing employment. But instantly <laughs> because of the relatability that I had with the clients and I felt so comfortable in that environment, in combination with the fact that now I was really giving back, really empowered me to invest my time in this industry. And yeah, I started the business when I was 24. Absolutely did not expect at that time for it to be as big as it is today. I think at that 24 years old, it's mainly, I'm naive. I didn't probably comprehend the, the scale of the responsibility that comes with a business. But I took it a day at a time and it was very distracting in such positive ways that I became in love with running a business and the impact that it could make. So if I understand that the niche that you realized at that time was that there were old age homes and care centers, but there was not a lot in terms of letting an elderly person be at their home and somebody could provide the same services. Was that the, the gap that you were filling when you started? Yeah, absolutely. And so by just coincidence, in that first year that I was working as a carer, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. Naturally, because I was working in the industry, my parents and everyone sort of leaned on me to get some information on how do we support her. And I, I discovered the, the concept of home care, which is, I mean, the, the aged care system is so difficult for a person who's outside the industry to navigate. But I realised that the, the Australian government actually offers home care services and subsidised care for people that are ageing at home, but not a lot of people actually know about it. <laughs> so there's this huge opportunity that I was like, okay, we can either all kind of age in nursing homes and residential, which is what we're all familiar with, or more people need to talk about the fact that there's an option to age at home. And so that's sort of where I, I took the, the direction of the business. That's fantastic. I think you had a very clear uh, niche and you were passionate about it. It related to you because you had gone through. So those things worked really well. Let's talk a little bit about early days of the hustling where 
you had to find the client, serve the client, you may have to hire your first few staffs and going to clients' places and uh, operational challenges. My early days, I remember that there was one thing for sure. I wanted to have a very clear vision that I need to do something that's different, that's not already being done, because there's no point. Like if I'm going to repeat what's already in the market, then I might as well just go and get a job. I'm always going to be hustling and never actually own the space that I want to be in and operate in. So that was very clear from the early days, but absolutely like the operational challenges at that sort of startup phase as a founder, you're doing everything and you've got to know it. Like you've really got to know the detail in the business. I actually really enjoyed it, actually, thinking back. You've got to be an expert in every area, whether it's marketing, ops, sales, and really knowing your client. I think that was probably the biggest thing is spending time with my carers and my clients to know their psychology and what are they looking for from my service. And then a lot of self-learning because, of course, I didn't have any work experience I didn't have any business experience and I had dropped out of school so there was a lot of self-learning some of the books that I read in that early time was scaling up traction the Rockefeller habits just good to great by Jim Collins I think one good thing you did and you talked about it is uh, I see in today's world of internet most people who want to start a business or in early stage they think of operating at scale to start with Rather than focusing on first few clients and understanding them really well and serving them beyond anybody could do and then scaling from there is a better idea rather than thinking of a scale from day one. So I think that's what uh, you did really well. What was it like deciding to hire your first staff? Because you were a carer yourself and apparently you were driving uh, to your client's place and <laughs> then one day you decided I need to hire a staff. Tell me about that. Yeah, hiring was an interesting journey. I've had to learn to be a leader and absolutely in the beginning, it was very much like, yeah, early 20s, I was operating more like a dictator and then over time realized that I need to empower my people so they can take the business to new heights. But the hiring the first individual, I'd say from a business perspective, you've got to hire initially people that agile, flexible and can do hybrid responsibilities. In a business, practically, when you're going from startup to then scaling, initially, we can't have people that are very, very specialized, and they're not willing to do multiple things in the business. Because you can't afford from day one having a marketing specialist, a sales specialist, an accountant. So you really need people that are willing to contribute broader and outside their scope of the job description. And I'd say that really works for the first four to five years. You've got to have enough people in the business that are going beyond their job description specs and know that they are in for the bigger, longer, broader journey rather than than sort of what they're contributing there. How did you go about that experience of transferring your knowledge and skill and mindset to individual, starting with one and two and Today, I think you have 800 carers. Oh my God, 800. And we've got, we're 75 full-time staff. With the journey of, of scaling up the business, I would say that it's interesting. I, I think I actually never 
ever had the belief that someone can't do it better than me. In fact, I always thought, absolutely, you know, they're specialized. In fact, they'll do it better than me and they'll probably contribute with their expertise more than I can. So fortunately for me, I never had that sort of limiting belief. And even now, now with 75 full-time staff and really experts in each function, I do really try and encourage my people to think bigger for their function than I do. Like I see my role as absolutely holding the vision for the big picture, but in their function, I expect my people to be holding the big vision for their function and, and really and really operating at that higher level. You have learned the game, you know, hands on. <laughs> that, that's what it reflects in the way you've been speaking. So when did you, when did you realize that your little startup is going to become a seriously big business? Do you remember that time? Ah, uh, no, no, definitely not like a, a time. Yeah, it's just been evolving and unraveling. I, yeah. Not, not one experience. Do you remember the early days of challenges where you had one staff and then two staff and then five staff and you did not really have systems and processes? Do you recall those moments? Yeah. So with systems and processes, I actually have a really high regard for process and policies. Huge. Like I'm a really big believer. And I think that, again, that's why we went so quickly from three people to five to eight to 10, we were able to scale because every time I would do something, I would always be documenting it as a process that then someone else could come in the business and follow it. And of course, refine it and make it better. So I'd say from the third year in business, everything was starting to document. Like we were very diligently documenting and I was leading that through the organization, expecting our team members to also, if they're doing something that's working really well, we've got to document it. It's got to be embedded in the process. I think in some regard, we were also very lucky because around the third or fourth year in business, I actually wanted to franchise the business. I thought franchising was what was going to give it scale. So I hired one of the most expensive franchise lawyers in the country. They were the ones that also did the Boost Juice franchise. In fact, they really showed me the importance of policies and procedures because for franchising, you actually can't franchise without having very clear policies and procedures. So they sort of really helped us bring in that foundation and the importance of it as a sort of a change management within the organization and help us become more corporate, I guess. Did you do anything else in first three years in terms of getting mentors or hiring professionals to structure your business for a scale? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I believe in is I work on myself more than I work on the business. Like for me, it's self-mastery. The business can look after itself. If I, as a leader, am constantly looking at how am I developing myself, I know I'll get it right in the business and it will flow through into the business. You know, one thing, I I went to India in, I think it was 2013. I did a trip solo without the family, just sort of a trip away to give back, in fact, but also be alone. And in that retreat, I stumbled across an individual who was part of the entrepreneurs organization. So in terms of your question around mentorship or guidance, yeah, I'd say about the fifth year in business, when my business started to have that credibility, 
I then became part of some a number of organizations. So one was the CEO Institute, another was the Entrepreneurs Organization. And now I've kind of transitioned into the Young Presidents Organization, YPO. Again, peer-to-peer learning with other founders, entrepreneurs, and leaders of their businesses. And that that's really important to me. Like having people that are smarter than me, the more experienced than me that I'm constantly engaging with. Yep has been absolutely like imperative to success. Wonderful. See, again, I keep going back to your early days experience. Now you talk about self-mastery. You're so, so, so confident. But you were not like that. You know, you actually suffered. And when did you realize, okay, self-mastery is the key. Business will take care of yourself. But if I don't improve, I can't really lead an organization, lead people. When did that transition happen? Yeah, absolutely. yeah, there was a moment in, in time. So basically what happened was when I joined the entrepreneurs organization, I started to get access to peers, other people that were running their own business, but I also got access to mentors. And so there were two very credible individuals that I then sat on my, so I created an advisory board and I requested them to join me. So basically what occurred in that year, again, I think now this is now the sixth or seventh year in running the business. We started to have corporate style advisory board meetings. And what I realized is in those meetings, I struggled to articulate what I wanted from them, but also the challenges that I was having in the business. I just struggled to sort of facilitate the meeting because I would be overcome by nerves. They're very experienced men. Who am I? I started to overcome with the imposter syndrome. So funnily enough, I thought, okay, this is something going on with, I've got nerves when I'm talking to more than five people in a room. My business is now growing beyond 30, 40 people. I really need to get public speaking skills. So that's what I actually thought. My initial thinking was, I don't know how to communicate with large groups of people or even people that are senior to me. So I engaged with a communication coach We did a number of sessions and she said to me after a while, she said, Isha, your problem is not communication. This is superficial. There's something deeper that is holding you back from talking your truth. And there's something deeper that you should look at. And I was like, wow, okay, this is is crazy. What is she alluding to? Anyway, she gave me, she handed me a business card of a meditation teacher And she said, go and see this person. It's someone that I've seen to develop my own, overcome my own fears and see if she can help you. So I reluctantly called this person after a month or two. I was like, okay, I've really got to overcome this. It's important for my business and for myself. So I basically went to see a meditation teacher. And what I discovered was it wasn't that I couldn't communicate. It was the fact that I was holding so much fear in me from what used to happen in the schoolyard. (laughs) And I was still consumed by fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of not knowing how to handle this responsibility. And what I need and what that took me on that time in my life is is a journey of self-discovery, self-reflection, meditation and mindfulness. And that's how I sort of overcame a lot of that 
fear. And I'm still on that journey. In fact, I think self-mastery is a journey of lifetime, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Everybody is stuck with some kind of fear, rejection or not enough kind of mindset. Uh, you know, I'm so happy through that meditation uh, teacher, you got that help. But do you remember anything concrete in terms of the changes that have started to happen, the realization when you were reflecting, maybe a kind of aha moment or it was a slow transition? Yeah. I, I feel, and this is something that I've, yeah, again, really personal experience is I feel like our life is, it kind of operates like a spiral. You kind of go through one part of that spiral and that journey and you feel lighter because you feel like you've resolved elements or aspects of your life and now you you feel more empowered but then there'll be another experience that you have because we're constantly trying to operate outside our comfort zone right so this is certainly for me like I'm always trying to operate outside my comfort zone so as soon as I have overcome sort of one layer of that comfort zone then I'm again operating outside it. And then there's another revelation and there's another piece of a layering or like shedding of the skin of a snake. So I can't say that it's like aha moments or it's absolutely evolutionary, like a lot of things. And it's, but it's been just a wonderful journey. I think what meditation has taught me, I meditate every single day. Like I will not compromise on my meditation time earlier part of the meditation and mindfulness journey I would I would sneak it in because I had to build up on it even holding ourselves for five minutes in silence if you've never done it is really challenging connecting with a very deep part of ourselves. and over the years now now I I sit for an hour hour and a half and sometimes on the weekends it's two hours of just stillness and mindfulness but absolutely in the beginning to form that habit it would be five minutes it would be 10 minutes sometimes 15 minutes in the boardroom in between meetings and now it's definitely a very disciplined practice that I just I would not compromise on that that's wonderful Aisha what would you tell to people like me and many others who say I'm so busy I can't do meditate. How would you not convince, but share your experience on how much of value you have got out of uh, not doing this, being in silence and doing meditation? I guess my first initial thinking around, I don't have time or I'm too busy. What I hear would be, well, then you're too busy to fulfill your dreams. Then your dreams aren't as important as, as we suggest they are, because for me, when I used to have those mental blocks, I've got I've got little kids, I'm running a business, I've also got just the same amount of time as any anyone else. And when I would say, oh, I don't have time to spend half an hour, what I was really saying to myself is, oh, Isha, I guess your dreams aren't aren't important enough for you to spend half an hour in silence. Because it's that in the in that time of, of meditation is when you actually connect with your truth. There is no other time in a day that we connect with our truth than when we meditate, where there is no one else as an obstacle, an event, a person, nothing else that is coming in between us and our biggest version of ourselves and our biggest dreams for ourselves. And if we cannot find 20 minutes in a day or half an hour or one hour to connect with that, then, then we're not. We're not really committed to our dreams. That's one. The other thing is that we only need to start with 10 minutes. 
So don't even, we don't even need to worry about an hour or half an hour. If we start with 10 minutes, the benefits of mindfulness and meditation are so profound that I can guarantee you'd be so addicted to the peace that you will naturally over the years want to increase it. And that's how I found my journey. I never committed to more than five minutes, 10 minutes. And, and to the point that over the years, thinking back now, I was so addicted to the peace that I'm like, I would say to my husband, I'm like, Gaurav, I need half an hour now. And now it's built up. It has direct impact in uh, all your relationships, be it personal or in your business. Absolutely. Because we are our biggest opponent. We ourselves is, we are the biggest opponent and we need to face that opponent if we're going to make our dreams come true. Yeah, no, completely agree and uh, no, really appreciate that insight. And uh, going back in business, uh, Isha, so, so far you have talked about, so first three years and then three to five years where you started to look at having advisory board, like a proper corporate structure, you got into different community, the CEO group you said you talked about, an entrepreneurship group you talked about, uh, YPO and, and so on and so forth. At any point in time, in first five years, did you ever feel like, you know what, doesn't look like I'll be able to cross this wall? Did you get any challenge, serious enough, big enough, where you were like, I'm not sure if I can cross this? <laughs> Esan, the business has been such a roller coaster, and there are very, very scary experiences of financial blowouts and not having enough cash in the bank and making big investments like the franchising and then that not being successful. And then on top of that, in 2016, the government released the biggest scheme, the biggest insurance scheme to our industry, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. It was the bit largest yeah. reform. Yep. And it completely changed the way that we were operating in our industry. So we went from a B2B provider, a business-to-business -business provider, to a business-to-consumer provider. And that was massive in terms of everything that I had built for eight years prior and had to recreate, re-engineer, hire new talent that understood business-to-consumer space and, and, and build a national disability insurance scheme specific business so there has been a lot of challenges now funnily enough and I don't know what it is but for me failure just hasn't been an option <laughs> so whenever I sort of experience anything like this it's never and, and again I wonder if it's something to do with my spirituality but I have goals but I also equally practice the law of not being attached. There's no. no attachment to it. So I have really big aspirations and I absolutely want to live in the biggest version of myself and grow the business. But equally, I have this balanced approach where, you know what, if, it's, if there's failure around the corner, if this is not going to work out, I'm not attached to the success to the point where I'm consumed by it. Right. So... Right. So it's like now, right? I've got huge aspirations. We want to grow the business by another 40% in the next financial year. And I am so passionate about that goal and I'm driving it. But you know what? If it's not going to happen, I'm not consumed by it. Because if I 
will be consumed by it, I'm going to land in suffering and I choose not to be in a place of suffering. Again, I keep going back to your start. How did you build that resilience? Were you strong like that from day one or uh, did you have issues or challenges in the early days where you said, ah, I don't think I can, I can go through this? Or you have always been like, okay, failure is part of the way. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I, I think because of my experiences in school and then dropping out in year 11, it's hard, like going through all of school. Can you imagine going through a decade of school and not having any good memories? <laughs> it's pretty painful, actually, thinking back. So maybe that did create a level of resilience in me. I, I have to say, for as long as I can remember in the business environment, though, I've always been a bit of a go-getter. I'll figure it out. Good. Yeah. Awesome. You know, sometimes blessing in disguise, right? Nobody would ever say that 10 years of not able to manage uh, during a school has become a blessing now because it's <laughs> character yeah. trait. And it's so true. You know, I was uh, listening to Robin Sharma. And he said, I would never trade my challenges that I have gone through for anything in, in life because those are the moments that has made me who I am today. Yeah. So, so my intention has been asking all these questions is to go through those moments where most people... Uh, feel stuck, remain there, backtrack, don't go forward. And you've been able to go through that. And that's where the success is. You know, challenges are part of life. The caterpillar to the butterfly story has to happen every time for us. When you talked about the spiral thing, you cross one, you enter another one, get over this, enter into another one. So that has to happen. But most of us do not have that mental strength and resilience to actually go through it. And that's why people fail. That's why the number says, oh, most businesses fail within five years and hardly any business remains successful in 10 years. And one good tip you have given or an insight is do not attach to the goal. If you are attached to it, every time you feel you suffer. And when you suffer, there's no going forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's really wonderful, Isha. And I can see how it has shaped your business. So I'm not going to talk about the challenges so much now. I'll go into more of the strategies, you know, how you have scaled, the right decisions you have made, the expertise you have brought in at every stage of scale. So I remember you said it was five, four, five years in your business. You had about 40 carer or staff. And today you have 75 staff and 800 care. So at every stage of scale, any insight that you can give, because some of the listeners might be in the early stage of business, so could be doing really well, but they're looking for a scale. Any of your experiences might be helpful. Yeah. I'd say one of the best advice that I actually got from one of my mentors a number of years ago was he said to me, Isha, promote yourself every year. So every single year, let go of one thing that you're doing that's operational and elevate yourself to be closer to a visionary. And that's probably the most fundamental sort of piece of advice and something that I have just absolutely incorporated in the way that I run the business. So every year, I diligently will say, okay, what is the one thing now that I can hire another person to do? That's more of an expert anyway, and I can become more of a leader and a visionary in the business because as the business grows the founder does need to start removing himself or herself from the operations but for me it has definitely been transitionary it's not an overnight thing where I've just got a c-suite team and 
hands-off ops. It's not like that. For me, I've, I've definitely, because I've, I started the business when I was 24 and I was very hands-on every year, I would then get people in the business and then become closer and closer to looking at industry trends, macro trends, what are the innovations that we want to bring into the business and start removing elements of ops. No, that's fantastic. So it definitely it is important that you let go of certain things. And I like this idea mm -hmm. of your advice that you got is leave one thing every year and promote yourself every year. That's really good. I mean, same applies in job also. If we could do that in our corporate career also, that will definitely help in growing in career as well. Most of us get stuck in what we are doing and we keep mastering that aspect of it. Thinking, if I do the best, I will not be removed from the role. I don't know if that's the right thinking or not. But anyway, let's get into the vision and purpose part of it. As you said, as a founder, uh, you got to be more setting the vision and having the, the clarity of purpose and so on and so forth. Can you share that insight a little bit? I guess what I mean by that is your sort of unique selling point in the business or the value that you want to give, your value creation, whether it's to consumers or the whole community or to the world, whatever it is, it fundamentally needs to be very, very clear. And when I reflect at how I am operating now in the business, that's absolutely where I want to spend the majority of my time and defining that more and making sure that it's relevant to the times because we are also living in a world where things are changing so dynamically and so quickly that news and other things, they're not relevant. They lose relevance very quickly. So that's one thing, probably in terms of scaling also, I'd say whilst the founder, the CEO and the leader of an organization spends a lot of their time there, where there is another aspect of discipline that's required though, is that for, your, for our C-suite team and for our operational teams, it's really important to repeat things and get better at them. So the example that I'll share in this is probably one of the things I've learned in the business is when we constantly try and recreate from an operational capacity and recreate, recreate, we get very distracted by the change and result in change fatigue. Yeah. And then we lose progress and momentum. So there's a very interesting ideology, I guess I take from the karate kid, wax on, wax off. Yeah. Even if you think about some of the best Olympians in the world, Ian Thorpe, you know, he would wake up in the morning, every morning at 4 or 5 a.m. And he's doing the same swimming stroke. So he doesn't come to the pool, the swimming pool in the morning and go, oh, I'll just change my technique today and I'll change it five times in a week. No, we've got to, we've got to stick and have that discipline to repeat. If something's working well in your business, we, we can't get our teams distracted by too much change go back to the wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, because that's your lowest hanging fruit. That's your core. That's the thing that gets the success as well. So it's really just balancing all of those elements in business. And that makes sense. Now coming on to some of the aspects of your business, when I went through your profile and did a bit of research and I felt you have such a strong vision of uh, your business that you were able to enroll uh, almost everyone in your family, in your <laughs> husband, your mother, your father, your brother-in-law. Tell me a little bit about that. Is it because of you have a strong vision and 
it's the end of the day, it's a trust as well, all right? So vision and trust and all of those things come together. When you enroll someone, especially your family in your vision, that's that's very, very powerful. I think it's the business, the work that we do is magnetic. I can't take any credit for that. My whole family is working with me. My father joined the business the beginning of this year. My mom has been with us for 12 years, my husband for six years. And before my sister went to Seattle, she also worked in the business for a couple of years. My brother-in-law worked in the business before he went to then join a, a large organization. So yeah, my f- whole family has had some interaction to the business and it, it it's the business. I'll give the business the credit. It's absolutely magnetic. And it, yeah, it's a great place to work. <laughs> it definitely is. But the business, as you, you know, one thing you hit upon really well is self-mastery that you focus on and uh, business is as good as its leader. Okay, so I, I would really like you to give a little bit of value to what you have done that has uh, allowed all your family members to join hands with you. Yeah. No, it's really special, actually. I really enjoy working with my family and the sort of the effect of that across the organization, though, is we, we treat everyone like a family here. It's a work family. So it's created quite a personalized experience for everyone. And how does that work at home? So you are the CEO of the company in business. And when you go home, your daughter, your wife, your mother, and of course, you have systemized everything very well. You do meditation. Those aspects are understood. But did you ever find this whole setup challenging or everything always worked right or you you had to make some changes to make it work? There were definitely challenges at the beginning because those relationships, yeah, that it's the blending of that professional and personal and being mindful about how we ask things or request responsibility. What I'd say is... It's definitely been a work in progress. Gaurav and I, so my husband is a co-CEO. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for him as a life partner, as a business partner. I've learned so much from him because of his years in corporate life, in the corporate world. And so I think over time, there's just been this real respect that's formed and trusting that every single person is contributing to their level, their capacity, and in the role that they have in the business. Yeah, yeah, just treating each other with basic elements of that trust and respect, really. I'd say one of the things for me, actually in summary to this and working with families, you've got to put your ego aside. There can't be ego. Is it not uh, easier said than done? I I, I think it's easier said than done. But it's doable. And we're definitely a family that's proving that it's doable. As long as everyone's egos are not coming in the way and every decision we make is based on the on what's best for the business. So it's never about what's best for me or another person personally, individually. It is what is best for the business. And, and, and as long as that is the most important thing, is this best for the client? for the business overall, then that's the decision we need to make. Right. And if everyone is thinking on that higher level, then we don't get consumed in the ego, right. in the conflict. No, that makes a lot of sense, Isha. So, and you, you, you are well-connected in community. You develop yourself on a consistent basis. Uh, you have uh, got mentors in your life. 
do you send your staff and your family member in any one of those uh, forums where they are also developing so that everybody is able to have you know, same wavelength uh, in terms of uh, how business is going? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I absolutely believe that because I'm such a big believer in mindset. Skills can be taught, but it's the mindset, it's the attitude, it's the grit, resilience, all of those characteristics that really determine success. So our people do get a lot of opportunities to join in those forums. Yeah, and then there's other learning and development professional opportunities that everyone gets exposed to that's relevant to their role. Very nice, very nice. You started another company as well, which was kind of complementary to your business. Is this something still running? Is it something you'd like to talk about? Yeah, Inabura. So Inabura is a division of our main business, Afia Care Services. And it's a financial, almost like a bookkeeping service for people with disabilities. Very different to the core business. It's more tech focused. It's more scalable because it's tech and it's, it absolutely has a different operating rhythm to it. So we're probably now second or third year in business with that division and it's growing, it's growing well. It is a service, but it's tech backed. So absolutely everything we do is, is we're in a service industry. With Inabura, there's the technology which they can, it's an app, our clients and our alliances can access real-time information just to give them that transparency of what is happening with their funding. Got it. That's fantastic. So I've got a lot of insights from you so far, Isha. And the last few questions in terms of giving messages to our listeners. You focused a lot on self-mastery. You already mentioned a few books. You talked about Good to Great and a few other books. If you can highlight your key two or three books that you recommend listeners who want to grow in career or want to grow in business? Yeah, this is such a hard question because I absolutely love reading and I read so much, almost a book every fortnight. So <laughs> I'll think back to just this year, some of the best books that I've read are Letting Go and Map of Consciousness by David Hawkins. The Seven Habits, The Seven Spiritual Habits of Financial Success by Deepak Chopra. Anything yeah. by Deepak Chopra is amazing. The Courage to be Happy, The Courage to be Disliked, which are great reads. The Go-Giver, anything by Ryan Holiday is really nice as well. The Ego is the Enemy, Stillness is the Key, yeah. Obstacle is the Way. I think a lot of reading that I do is very similar to what you yeah. mentioned. A lot of my listeners are people who are in corporate world and want to get in business. And sometimes not, not the right idea. Sometimes thinking of, oh, I don't have resources or I don't have time. Any uh, reading that you would recommend that will help them? In that real startup phase? I think in a startup phase, early days, the best book would have to be Scaling Up. Scaling Up. Scaling Up is a really good book when I think about that. There's, yeah, there's traction at, as well. And then actually just on another note, for leadership books, Million Dollar Coach and Feast Conversations by Susan Scott and Radical Candor as well is another one. So those are all on leadership. But yeah, in, in business, yeah, traction in and scaling up are probably the good ones. Fantastic. Uh, we are almost at the end of this conversation, uh, Isha. Now, you are definitely a powerful example of bouncing forward where you didn't even have the kind of degree most of the Indian expats have. The education, the work experience, in spite of that, so much of a struggle in taking life to the next stage. 
with your so much of uh, experience in life and you've been able to succeed certain things have really worked for you like you networked with right people you brought in you got in right community and things like that can you share two or three things that are really valuable anybody who wants to take his or her life to the next level with your experience i'd say one of the things is that in our, the way that I see our life, and it, do, it doesn't matter what stage we are in our life, whether it's stuck in a corporate job or wanting to get into entrepreneurship or stuck in a relationship, the fact of the matter remains the fundamental, the way that life interplays is there's a drama, there's this drama, and then there's always a response to the drama, which is our emotional responses. And then if we elevate from that, what I feel is that that's where the stillness is and that's where the solutions are and the clarity is. So now I'll go back to really hacking mindfulness, spending time alone so you understand what your authentic truth is. What do you actually want to give back to the world? And rising above the drama, rising above the emotional responses and then sitting in that place of clarity and, and it will surface. Things will come to you because you know the answer for your life. No one else can give you that. That power is actually within you. But to access it, we need to face ourselves. <laughs> and that's where we don't want to get distracted by other things. And we've got to spend time by ourselves to discover that. I think that's key. You summarized it very well. And, and you really pointed in right direction. So... Thank you for your time, Isha. It was a wonderful conversation, a lot of valuable insight and I wish you best of luck in all your growth plans. And how would you like to be contacted if somebody wants to connect with you? And yeah, that's one thing. And second, how can somebody support you in your mission? You are on a mission. You're really helping the society in Australia in a big way. Hmm. So I am thinking a win-win here. <laughs> <laughs> We were just granted the third best place to work. So we're in the top three best places to work in Australia and New Zealand. So for us to grow our impact, we need really values aligned individuals that want to come on the journey with us to grow our impact. So refer people to us or join us. We're always looking for champions in various functions and teams in the business. So that's a win-win, I guess, in terms of that. I I think love to do that. Yeah. In terms of just connecting with me, LinkedIn is probably the best way. And then, yeah, Facebook as well and Instagram. So all of the social media sites, happy for happy to connect. And oh, I always really enjoy giving back. So if there's any way that I can help and support anyone out there, more than happy for you to connect and, and ask me anything. Wonderful. Thanks. Uh, thank you for everything you're doing. And it was a lovely conversation, Isha. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity today. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Experts podcast with your host Asan Ali. Hope you find some inspiration and strategies in Isha's stories and also learned how to deal with depression, what it takes to build a successful business, strategies to scale, the approach to personal and professional growth, casting vision and becoming a CEO leader. I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so that you do not miss to get the story of another inspiring Indian expert. Also, do recommend the podcast to your family and friends. And coming next week is a story of a senior IT professional who created a multi-seven-figure business within three years of leaving his job and at the same time transformed his health in an extraordinary way. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.